their congregation of the Lord, hear this very instructive parable. There was one extraordinarily rich grandfather and his grandson. As a child, the grandson had many toys, trucks, excavators, and, and others. When the grandson reached adulthood, he enjoyed working outdoor. Therefore, the grandfather bought his grandson two nice Ford trucks and a real excavator. After using those tools for a while, the grandson came back home one day saying, complaining. He said, ah, adult life is too stressful. You must work hard, pay bills, and so on. From today, grandfather, consider me a child. I will liquidate those tools, those expensive tools, the real trucks, the excavators that you bought for me, and I will start using again my, my, tr my, my toys, my, my toys, trucks, and excavator as I had as a child. For then, my life was easier and simpler. Sure, you might be thinking, that grandson had mental issues. No, he didn't. He was healthy. Strange grandson, isn't it? Yes, very strange. Yet, many Hebrews Christians were like that grandson. They had followed the gospel for a while. However, the people around them became hostile to them. And they thought that reverting back to Judaism, to the shadows of the Old Testament, will make their life easier. Lest you start, you sight thinking, ah, thankfully this was the early church. We have become better today. Let me tell you that we face similar issues. Deep inside, Many of us want to return to the Old Testament, to the shadows. We want dreams, visions. We want to speak in tongues. We want the Urim, the Thummim. We wish we could just cast lots in order to know the will of God. And some of us even think that Christ is not sufficient. We want to add something. We want to add a bit of psychology here, scientism here, many things we want to add because we, we are not satisfied with what God has given to us. Some of us wish, oh, if God could reveal to me in a dream which career to choose, which one to marry, then my life will be better. Now, what is God's answer to all those wishes, those bad desires that we have? God's answer is this. It is the same answer that he gave to the people in the book of Hebrews. 
The Holy Spirit says to us, His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called you to His glory and excellence. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit is saying as answer, you have the mind of Christ. Why? Because long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Therefore, it is my privilege to bring, to preach the gospel of the supremacy of God's revelation in Christ. The theme of this sermon is, knowing Christ is all that you need to know God. Knowing Christ is all that you need to know God. Under this theme, we will see three points. First, Christ is our God. Then, Christ is our Redeemer. And finally, Christ is God's ultimate revelation. Christ is our God. Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is God's ultimate revelation. Christ is our God, our first point. At the end of verse 2 of our passage, we read, through whom also he created the world. Here, the Holy Spirit says that God the Father created the world through Jesus Christ. When the Father spoke the world into existence, Jesus was at his side, helping to make all those decrees of God happen. But the power of God, of Christ, please, continued even after the creation. And that's why the Holy Spirit tells us in the middle of verse 3, he, meaning Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so we understand that Jesus is not only the creator of the universe alongside the Father, but he also governs providence by his word alongside the Father. Jesus' word is so powerful that it keeps the entire creation together. In other words, Jesus is the master of all circumstances alongside the Father. A bird does not fall to the ground without Jesus giving his permission. A virus does not propagate without Jesus giving his permission. Even the atoms, the electrons, and the subatomic particles that we cannot see do not move without Jesus' permission. Now, the question is, why? Why does the Holy Spirit tell us these things about Jesus' works? Because we usually evaluate someone's importance or greatness according to his works. No one will ask a child who is still learning basic arithmetic to manage St. Albert's electricity distribution system. No one will ask a child 
to build this building in which we are. You want someone who is qualified. And when you see someone licensed to do those kinds of great works, you have respect for that person. Why? Because you know that those works are complicated and difficult. Thus, the Holy Spirit is indirectly telling us, see the divine works of Jesus Christ and realize how great he is. Now, where does Jesus get the power to create, to govern the universe alongside the Father? The Holy Spirit tells us that Jesus gets that power from his divine nature. Monkeys cannot build bridges and electric grids, but men can. Men cannot create planets. Only God can. Thus, Jesus participates in the creation and the government of the universe because he is God. That's what we read in the first part of verse 3. There we read, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Because the Godhead's nature goes beyond our understanding, the Holy Spirit uses human terms analogically, meaning in a kind of comparison. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand how God the Father and God the Son are intimately united, yet distinct. It's like when your young child, your toddler, asks you, what is the earth's shape? You won't tell to your young child, the earth is spherical with swollen protrusions at the equator. It is too complicated language the child won't understand. You will tell him, for example, the earth is like a soccer ball. It's not a perfect description, but it is sufficient for the child to have a beginning of understanding. And it is the same kind of language that the Holy Spirit is using here to describe the Son relatively to the Father. What is the Holy Spirit saying? He's saying that God the Son is the radiance of the glory of the Father and that he is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. He's not saying that the Son is a, a byproduct, uh, an emanation from the Father. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the Son's nature is identical, identical to the one of the Father. That's what exact imprint means. The Holy Spirit says that just like light and its rays are intimately linked, and that you cannot have one without the other, God the Son and God the Father are intimately linked. Even though each one of them has life in themselves, they are always together. You cannot, the Father cannot be without the Son, nor can the Son be without the Father. The Holy Spirit also says that the Father's glory is made fully visible in Christ, His Son. 
In other words, if you want to see God, God's glory, look at Christ. Scripture implies this when it says in John 1.18 that no one has ever seen God, but his unique son has made him known. His unique son has explained him. 2 Corinthians 4.6 also speaks of the same concept when it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To better understand, you can think, for example, about a, a telescope. There are many stars in the universe that are by far bigger than the sun. But we cannot see them with our naked eyes. Why? Because they are too far away. But with a telescope, however, we can see them, we can perceive them. Similarly, God is spirit, and he has qualities, glories, and beauties that we cannot perceive with our human eyes because of our limitations and also because of our sinfulness. But Christ, through the incarnation, makes all those qualities of God visible to us. Much theology, right? Yes, that's God's word. It is very deep. And with this, we have just scratched the surface. But you might certainly be wondering, how does it translate to our daily lives? One of the translations is this. You cannot know God without Christ. You cannot have the Father without the Son. Do you want to know God? Seek to know Christ through the Word. Do you feel that your spiritual life is becoming dried and tasteless? Seek to know Christ through the Word. Seek to know Christ through the Word. He is the only way to God our Father. Do not pursue spiritual experiences, but pursue Christ. And we begin to have a spiritual knowledge of God's glory in preparation for the face-to-face -face encounter that you will have with Christ at his return. So far, we have seen how the Holy Spirit presents Jesus. The Holy Spirit explains that Jesus is God, the creator and the governor of the universe, alongside the Father. The only one through whom we can know God the Father. But the Holy Spirit does not stop there. He also presents Christ as our enthroned redeemer, our exalted king. Let us see that presentation in our second point. Christ is our redeemer. In the second part of verse 2, we read, whom he appointed the heir of all things. The Holy Spirit says that the Father chose Jesus as the heir of all things. 
He does not mean that a time will come at which the father will retire or will pass away so that Jesus will receive his estate. No. God does not die. God cannot die. It simply means that the father was pleased to have Christ as his co-ruler and Messiah. Of what does it remind us? It reminds us of Psalm 2, where God said to David, As for me, ask of me, and I shall give you the nations for your inheritance, the end of the earth for your possession. Those promises that God made to David find a fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's Messiah, not only for the people of Israel, but for the entire world and the entire creation. Jesus is the second Adam, the champion who succeeded where our federal head, our natural ancestor, Adam, failed. Jesus is the one in whom all the promises of redemption are fulfilled. Children, do you, do you remember what happened in the fall, in the Garden of Eden? Do you remember what happened? In the fall, man became an enemy of God. God then banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and cursed the creation to make life difficult for man so that man in his difficulty will turn to God for help. So because Adam was the head, the master of the creation, when he fell, he brought a curse not only on himself, but also on the entire creation, on all those people and things who depended on him. But God, but God in his great love for us, sent Jesus to be our new head, to perfectly obey wherever Adam had failed and earn back for us God's favor. But the merits of Jesus, the merits that he earned through his perfect obedience could not have saved us if Jesus had not also died at the cross for our sins. And that's why in the second part of verse 3, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the purification of sins. He does so as he summarizes Jesus' humiliation and glorification. Let us break down the Holy Spirit summary. First, the Holy Spirit says, after making purification of sins, what is he referring to here? Here, the Holy Spirit is referring to the incarnation, the perfect obedience, the suffering, and the death of Jesus Christ at the cross. Then the Holy Spirit says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of, on high. Here, the Holy Spirit is referring to the resurrection, the ascension, and the session of Jesus at the position of highest authority in heaven. 
Therefore, according to the Holy Spirit, God has enthroned Jesus in heaven as king of the universe and the eternal great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, as we sang in Psalm 110. So what do we, what do we understand from this presentation of Jesus as our enthroned redeemer? We understand that Jesus is our great high priest. He has made a once-for-all sacrifice for us and now represents us at God's right hand. We also understand that Jesus is the one in whom divine power and love are united for our salvation. The one who made all things also accepted to humble himself for the wretched sinners that we are. What an amazing grace. Finally, we understand that outside of Jesus, we remain eternally poor and destitute, lost in the world and enemies of God. Union with Christ by true faith is the only way to share in Christ's inheritance. So, brothers and sisters, let us cling to Christ. He is our only hope. Outside of Jesus, there is only the Adamic curse and miseries. But in Christ, we have a glorious future because Christ, our King, is now enthroned in heaven above all the, all the authorities, all the powers and dominion. So we have the assurance that we rule with him. So far, we have seen a presentation of Christ as our God and our enthroned Redeemer. What is the goal of those presentations? Why is the Holy Spirit giving us all those credentials of Jesus? To understand, to see the goal, let us move to our third point and final point. Christ is God's ultimate Revelation. In verse 1 and 2, we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. What is the Holy Spirit saying here? The Holy Spirit contrasts the Old Testament with the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is saying that in the past, before Christ, God spoke to our fathers. Who are those? The Old Testament people. How did he speak to them? He speak to them in various ways and in a fragmented manner. But in these last days, meaning since Christ's first coming, he has spoken to us directly uniquely and once for all through his son, Jesus. In the Old Testament, how did God speak through the prophets? He gave them dreams, visions, and oracles. Sometimes they prophesied without even fully understanding what they were prophesying. And that's what we read in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12. There the passage says, Concerning this salvation, 
the prophet who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. God revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, meaning us. So the prophet of old knew the direction of God's redemptive plans, but they did not have all the details, especially the details of Christ's coming. They tried to know their search through the Spirit, but God did not allow them to know. They had God's revelation bit by bit over the centuries until Christ came and explained everything and started fulfilling everything. Thus, in Christ, there is no need for dreams or visions. Christ spoke of what he knew, of what he saw from heaven because he's coming from heaven. Because Christ is intimate with the Father, he had an insider knowledge of God's plans for us. And because the law and the prophets find their fulfillment in him, it could, it could give them all their true meaning. So we understand that with Christ, the history of redemption enters its final stage. And God's words reaches its final and complete form and become what we know today. And that's what the Holy Spirit is impressing on us by giving us all the credentials of Jesus and by contrasting the Old and the New Testament. Let us continue. In verse 4 we read, Having become as much superior to angels as the name it has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The Holy Spirit here continues the contrast between the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God used extensively angels to transmit his word. We read this in various parts of the Bible, of scriptures, such as, for example, Acts 7.53. There we read, You who have received the law as delivered by angels did not Keep it. And also in Galatians 3.19, we read, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So with this, coming back to our text, we understand that the Old Testament was indeed glorious. It was angelic. However, the New Testament is even more glorious. Why? Because we did not receive it from angels, but from the Son of God himself. He is the Lord even of angels, since he has the highest authority in heaven, as we read previously. So credentials matter. The higher the credentials, the greater the importance of the message. With Jesus, we have supreme credentials. Therefore, with him, we have also a supreme message. 
However, the contrast between God's revelation in the Old Testament and God's revelation in the New Testament must not make us think that there is a, a contradiction or even a division between the Old and the New Testament. Both have the same author, who is God. But the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. For a good understanding of the New Testament, the Old Testament is crucial, necessary. A good understanding also of the Old Testament will ultimately lead us to find Christ in the New Testament. As you see, the two are not separated, but they are linked. Just as Augustine said, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Now, what do we understand from this contrast between the new and the Old Testament? We understand that in Christ, we have all that we need to truly know God. Christ is not only the key to understand all of scriptures, but he is also the apex, the summit of God's revelation. With Christ, we no longer need dreams, visions, and prophecy. Because with Christ, God's word reveals to us all that God wants us to know, to obey him, and to live in a manner that is worthy of his calling. So brothers and sisters, remember this. Remember this when life is puzzling you and, and you wish you could have a dream from God. Remember this when some televangelists try to lie to you, saying that God spoke to them. Remember this also when the devil, the world, and your flesh are telling you that your past life of ignorance, was, and of ignorance and sin was better. Remember that the word of Christ is the way. Why? Because Christ is king of the universe, eternal great high priest, and the only way to God. In Christ, you no longer need the shadows. You have all that you need. You do not, in him, you do not need to go back to the toys. And if the, spirit, the adult spiritual life is stressing you, instead of deluding yourself with shadows, cling to Christ. Ask him to give you what you need, and he will provide for sure. In summary, what does the Holy Spirit teach us through these first four verses of Hebrews? He teaches us that we do not need to return to the shadows. We do not need to add anything to the word of Christ. We do not need the symbols and the toys of the church's infancy. Why? Because Christ's word is supreme, reliable, and sufficient. Why is Christ's word so? Because Christ is God. Christ is king of the universe. Christ is our eternal great high priest. And Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Christ is God's supreme and final revelation. Amen.